You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Dick Vermeil recently was told that he was nominated by the coach committee as its nominee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. While he still needs the approval of the entire selection committee, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he will be wearing a gold jacket at this time next year. Vermeil holds the distinction of being named coach of the year at the high school level, junior college, collegiate, and professional level. He was the Pac-8 Coach of the Year with UCLA in 1975 and the NFL Coach of the Year with the Rams in 1999. He had a winning record pretty much every step uh, of his career, with the exception of the Rams, but all he did there was lead them to the only Super Bowl victory in franchise history. After taking a year off following his retirement from the Rams, he became the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. He was inducted into the Eagles Hall of Fame in 1994 and St. Louis Ring of Honor in 2008. I'm guessing that the Chiefs Ring of Honor is in his future. Coach, welcome to Sports Connections. Nice to be with you, Dave. Now, you've basically been a coach since you graduated from college. What was it about coaching that drew you in? Well, I think uh, the passion for the game and then the opportunity to be connected with it after playing. Initially, I just loved playing the game. And fortunately for me, a little high school of 130 kids, a football coach came there named Bill Wood uh, as his first head coaching job. And I was a senior playing quarterback. And halfway through the season, he said, you know, Dick, if you wanted to, you could play college football. And But no one had ever told me that. I was planning on going to work in my dad's garage and hopefully drive race cars and have that kind of life ahead of me. And that stimulated me because I love playing the game. And I hadn't prepared properly academically in high school because I wasn't planning to go to college. And so I went to junior college and, and played there two years successfully. And then I walked on at San Jose State and earned a scholarship and found myself playing for a coach that uh, also kept telling me I had certain abilities that I didn't recognize I have. And he thought I'd be a real fine coach. And he was, uh, you know, so supportive in bringing out the positive things about my personality and passion for the game that uh, he thought would make me a good football coach. So I listened to him and went on from there. It's, it's so interesting. Coaches are, everybody's wired, every individual is wired differently. Coaches are certainly wired differently, but your reputation, uh, at least as long as I've been following your career, has been a very encouraging, a very positive coach. Uh, and I'm picking up from that, that, that you got that from your high school coach and your, and your college coach who encouraged you to do things you didn't really think about. So is that what, is that what inspired you to be such a positive coach in your career? Well, I, I think it started me in the right direction. You know what? I think having had the opportunity, Dave, to coach on all levels, I started I de- developing, I felt a talent to recognize talents within young people that they didn't know they had. So I always worked on the the positive side of, you know, you're a good player, but we could make you better if you do this or this and this. And we'd try to put them in an environment in which they enjoyed being in, even though we were working them very hard. Yeah. But it was for no selfish purposes other than helping them be the best they could be. And so I just I kept growing on that. And I, I had so many positive experiences, positive returns in regard to seeing kids all of a sudden develop into something they didn't know they were going to be, a la Dante Hall. Yeah. Okay? 
<clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's, it gives you as a coach, a great feeling to know that, uh, you ha- you're in a position to help someone like somebody helped you. Yeah. And it sort of built a whole philosophy around that. And also Chuck Knox helped me. Uh, one time early in my career working for Chuck at the Los Angeles Rams at that time, I was sitting around a lunch table during double days and I was complaining about everything my players couldn't do. So all of a sudden, Chuck put his hand on the table, said, listen for me. If those players could already do all those things you're saying they can't do, I wouldn't need you to coach them. <laughs> you know, and that stuck with me. Yeah. So, you know, I quit complaining about what they couldn't do and tried to find ways to teach them what they could do. Yeah. You know, and it just, it, it, it gradually built it, all that thinking into a philosophy. That's really cool. I, I love hearing that story. Um, I, I work, I'm involved with a coaches ministry where we try and pour into coaches the way they pour into their kids. And one of the basic premises of that ministry is that if you are called to coach, you have to coach. That's one thing that all coaches share. I've got a friend who's an offensive line coach uh, in co- at the college level. He's been all over the all over the globe, basically coaching all over North America, coaching college football. And and the staff lost their job too late in the year for him to find a, a new job. So he ended up selling cars for a season. And like the second week, uh, the the state the general manager of the of the dealership came in, and all the salesmen were weren't around. And he asked somebody, he said, oh, they're in with Mark. And, uh, and he was in there coaching his fellow salesman. He'd been there a week. Um, and so we believe that all, all coaches, if they're, if you're called to coach, you have to coach no matter what your vocation happens to be at the time. The other thing we believe all coaches share is the same first name and that's coach. Uh, mm-hmm. but do you agree with that, that calling idea? I, I do. I, I believe there's an innateness about a coach that, uh, especially the ones that really excel on the human side of the game. You know, I always say, you know, I don't coach football. I coach people that play football. I coach young kids that play football. And I think uh, that sort of came natural to me as I matured as a person. And uh, I think the great coaches I've been around, uh, they were automatic connectors in, in more in a positive way. Yes, in a demanding way. Yeah. And sometimes an unforgiving, you know, get on your butt. And, and, and they, there's sometimes you almost have to force kids to recognize what they have that they haven't recognized before. Right. And I think gradually, the longer you coach, the more that becomes part of you. You've coached, you mentioned that you coached at all, all levels. I mentioned that in the introduction as well, that you coached the high school, junior college, the four-year college, the pros. I'm sure there are parts of each each of those stops or each of those levels that you like, can you go back and say, I enjoyed this level the most? Well, you know, I enjoyed football the most. And once I found out how much I really love football coaching, I started thinking, you know, I don't want to be in a high school classroom teaching a classroom subject. I don't want to be teaching a PE class. I want to be coaching football yeah. and kids that play the game. And I want to be able to think football 24 hours a day and sit there and draw stuff on napkins and, and tablets and, and study what other people are doing and go to clinics. But I, I, I lost complete interest 
in the teaching phase of subjects other than football. Yeah. So that's why I, every time I had an opportunity to take a job that moved me toward 100% football, I took it. Um, you, you were very successful every step of your career. And, and one of the things that's interesting is often you took a team that really hadn't had much recent success and you turned them into a winner very quickly. What was, what was your secret for that? Well, there really, Dave, there's no secrets. It's a process. And, and it starts first demonstrating that you care for the products you're working with. You care for those people. And you surround them with good examples of other people that are all trying to do something. And you build an atmosphere in which they enjoy working. And, and then you teach them hard work is not a form of punishment. It's a yes. solution. You know, and you go that way. You build relationships and they you build a level of trust that your word is something they really believe and they don't second guess. And they may be tired and mad at you and everything else. But they know what you're doing is going to help them be the best they can be at what they want to do. And uh, you just keep that philosophy. I kept that philosophy and I learned it, you know, age group by age group. And I think by the time I got an NFL, all that other experience helped me better evaluate the, the depths of a person's personality and evaluate the depths of the talent that he has and where we could take him if he's willing to be taken, you know. And, uh, you know, I have such great memories of, kids that were second and third string players in their own mind that became first string players and all conference players. And hey, Kurt Warner, player of the year, NFL, London Fletcher, 16 years playing, not drafted. And I, you know, that kids that were unheralded that became really fine players, hopefully due to the contribution, our overall approach provided. I've, I've become good friends recently with Tim Grunhard. We're, we're working on a book together on his career uh, and, and basically how what's now called Chief's Kingdom was really, really established by Carl Peterson and, and Marty Schottenheimer with wanting the players to get out uh, into the community and engage with fans. And that's the, that's the gist of the book. But the reason I bring up Tim is he he said when he was in high school and even when he was at college uh, and the, in the pros that he was a pleaser. He wanted to please the coach. And, and that was, that was holding him back. He had a, a college coach in Lou Holtz who would never compliment him. He would, he was like, he uh, used the analogy of dangling the carrot in front of him. You know, Grunhard could be good, but he's not going to be as good as this guy or, you know, we've got th these guys who are going to get drafted, but Grunhardt's not among them. And of course, he got drafted in the second round. You, the point is, coach, that you have to you have to understand your players, as you said, because you care about them and treat them differently. Was that one of your gifts that you understood how some guys needed to be motivated by, you know, kicking them in the rear? Some guys needed to be motivated by telling them. Hey, they're not that good. Other guys needed to be motivated by saying, Hey, you can do this. Believe yeah. me, you can do this. Did you, did you have the ability to treat guys differently to motivate them? I think so. But you know, Dave, that takes time. Yeah. You know, very few people have the ability to give their best to somebody they care about the least. And uh, when I'm around negative guys and demeaning type coaches, it bothers me. Yeah. A lot of these kids have a, a thin background. 
And a lot of his kids never was around a dad that chewed their butt out. Yeah. I always tease people say, my dad invented the term verbal abuse. He was on my <laughs> butt all the time, you know? But, and so I knew how to handle it and I knew the motivation behind it. But a lot yeah. of kids not had the, uh, the, the male contribution in, in every phase of contribution from the loving to the demanding to the uh, pushing and, uh, and uh, those kinds of approaches. And so uh, their, their profiles can be a little bit thin. Yeah. And I always felt all the experiences I had with different kids at different age groups uh, gave me the ability to, to quickly gain insight to what this person needed. Yeah. Okay. You, you, uh, your first college head coaching position was UCLA. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And you were there just two years. Were you surprised that the NFL came calling so quickly after two years? Very successful years, obviously. Yes, I was surprised. I was surprised. And, uh, you know, it all happened because we're playing Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, January 1st, 1976. They had beaten us like 43-21 in the regular season in, in an interconference game. And all of a sudden, we won the conference, and they win the conference, and, and uh, now we play, and they're number one in the country, by far the number one knows. And then we upset them. And uh, fortunately for me, Leonard Toast, the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, was sitting watching that game. Saw uh, Woody Hayes walk across the field and congratulate me before the game was over. And we walked across the field with him, like 60 seconds to go in the game during a timeout period and he that impressed him so they got they got on twa which no longer exists right and moved to southern california in the in the process he talked to george allen i had worked for and he talked to chuck knox i had worked for and they both said hire him so he came after me and uh i was sitting in my office when i got the phone call and had a 15-minute conversation with him and i told him i wasn't interested I said, I think we can build a national championship here. We just, you know, we even haven't had time to celebrate our Rose Bowl win. So he stayed at the Beverly Hills Hotel. They had a suite there. And he, after four days of calling and visiting, I went over and visited with him. I think it was like on a Thursday morning. And uh, started listening seriously. And both George Allen and Chuck Knox said, take the job. Very seldom does someone call you and offer you a job in the National Football League. And, you know, I'd had experience in the league. I had four years as an assistant in the league, so I knew what it was like. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I decided to take it. It it hurt me to leave UCLA. My family voted not to go. Okay, I was making $30,000 a year. When we beat Ohio State, I got a raise to (laughs) $32,500. You know, all of Philadelphia and make $50,000 a year. So that was, you know, that was positive. So I made the but I knew what I was getting into. I knew, you know, they had the losingest record in football. And uh, they had no first, second, or third round picks for three years. Except wow. our year we had a third round pick. So I knew I couldn't take the approach that I had been u- taught in college, in pro football. I had to take more of a combination college pro football approach and, and try to make each player that we have, regardless of where he was drafted, and make him a better player. And, you know, it took three years to get in the playoffs, but they hadn't been in the playoffs in a long time. Yeah. Five years to get in the Super Bowl, you know. But we did it the old-fashioned way. We just worked extremely hard. We did the same thing with the Rams. 
Yeah. Yeah, the same thing with them. Took that approach. And, you know, it's my third year has always been my first winning year. And part of it's my own fault because I didn't want to really get into buying a football team early in the program. I wanted to develop my own football team in our own way. And I think we won something like the 40, 38%, 40% of my first two years combined. And we won over 70% in my third year. So it worked, you know, and so it was, I felt I'm most disappointed really in my performance at Kansas City. Because, you know, here I'm working for the finest owner in football or in pro sports in Lamar Hunt. And I never did a good enough job to hand, hand him the AFC Lamar Hunt trophy. And that still bothers me a little bit. Nothing I can do about it, but I can sure as hell admit it. I'm disappointed. Yeah, I done. yeah. yeah. Tim, Tim says that's his biggest regret is that he didn't get to. I mean, I don't know who would have actually got to hand it to, to Lamar, but, uh, you know, that he didn't get to be the reason that Lamar got to hold the trophy uh, named after him. There, there was a guy, in a, in, you know, you were obviously well known as an NFL coach, but there was a guy that in, a, in the movie, uh, and, and I'm just drawing a blank on his name, Vince. Papali. Yeah. It, tell that story about how that, because the Hollywood took some liberties with that. Oh, but no. tell that story. Yeah. Well, you know, Dave, the story was true. In fact, I read this manuscript for that movie, flying from Kansas City to play the Raiders early. And when I got back, I called him and I said, you know, there's a lot of things, guys, in this script that aren't true. And he said, well, coach, we're not doing a documentary. We're telling yeah. you, and, you know, they told the story. They magnified it. Now. But, you know, he did it. The kid did a wonderful job. He's now seven years old. And I see him often. I just talked to him on the phone yesterday. OK. And uh, they did a nice job with it. And in fact, I just watched Kurt Warner's new movie in a private uh, filming uh, uh, and an unedited cut that's going to come out on Christmas Day this year. It was a very fine movie and a, a very a lot to it, a lot to it, and a lot of similar emotion drawn from the fan that watches the movie. They'll enjoy it. Yeah, I'm look, looking forward to that. Um, let's talk about your, your Eagles career. You were there for seven years before stepping away. What do you remember most about those seven years? Well, I think really the, the development of the relationships with the kids that went all the way, you know, we had 12 guys that were on, under contract with the Eagles when I took the job to go to the Super Bowl with me. You know, I always felt players took me to those bowl games. I didn't take them. Yeah. And, you know, I never played a snap. And to this day, I'm very close to all those guys. And uh, as I am with my Rams and my Chief guys. But uh, that group was a little more uh, I mean, because I still live in the community and it was a seven year period and there was no free agency and we didn't have any draft choices. So we, through the hard work and the adversity that we went through, we developed a, a deep uh, mutual respect and care for each other in a, a, a lifelong relationship. And then I think you invented the term burnout. Just talk about the, the fact that, that you stepped away what uh, what was the what was the the reason? I mean, I, obviously you just felt like you were you had used everything you had. What what was the reason behind that? Did you just did you give too much to the game? Is that why you felt burned out? Sometimes a passion can can become an obsession. And I can remember my last year 
winning a football game and flying home. And my wife said, Dick, you're, you're not even acting like you just in one game. You're not enjoying it. I was already worried about preparing for the next game. And what happened to me, Dave, is I, the, the exhilaration of winning didn't last very long. Uh, the anticipation and the uh, concern for preparing the team to win the next one uh, started overpowering me. And when I lost a game, which we lost many, I couldn't get over the loss. And it was negatively influencing my preparation for the next week. I kept thinking about what I should have done to win last week. Mm. And it was a real problem. And it, it, it sort of overpowered me. So yeah. I, I quickly say, you know, a, a passion became an obsession that obstructed me from being what I thought I was as a football coach. I was, I was not, I wasn't proud of myself and I didn't listen. I didn't listen to Sid Gilman. I didn't listen to Lynn Stiles. I didn't listen to my coaches. Coach, you can't keep going at the pace you're going. Yeah. Why not? You know, when you come up as a head coach in high school, I had one assistant. As a head coach in junior college, I had one assistant. As a head coach of the Stanford freshman team, I had one assistant. You did everything. Yeah. So you feel more secure trying to do everything. And, uh, you know, I, now I recognize you. You just better know the main things. Yeah. Better know the main things. The main thing, number one, good, good players. Number two, get fine teachers to teach them. And then number three, build an organization rather than think you had to draw every X's and O. And having left the game for 14 years in broadcasting, I couldn't come back and do it the same way. Yeah. I, I concentrated in main things I had to do. Set the tempo, build relationships within the organization, get everybody involve hold everybody responsible from the ticket agent to the person that answers the phone uh, to the equipment and, 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 and then surround yourself with very fine coaches and provide them an environment that was good to coach in and provide them with a player in the frame of mind to be coached. Yeah. And, uh, so I took that approach the second and third time around. And, and that approach works, whether you're coaching 16, 17 year old kids or 30 year old men. No question. You know, okay. you know, there's no correlation between age and maturity. <laughs> Good they point. Senior-old kids that were as mature as a 35-year-old man. I've seen 35-year-old players that were as mature as an 18-year-old kid. You yeah. Know, it's, it, you, and you have to be able to recognize that. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you, took, you talk about the years away. Most people, when they step away from something, especially for that long, don't get back into it. And if they do, they're usually not successful. Uh, first of all, what did you do to recharge? And how, how were you successful? I know it took three years with the Rams, but how were you successful getting back into it? Well, you know, fortunately for me, I was in football, broadcasting. The first five years, I did 90% NFL games and then college bowl games. The next eight, nine years, I did 90% college football and NFL playoff games. But I was always on some other coach's football field. And since I had been a football coach and had developed relationships in pro football, I'm sitting in team meetings that the TV people weren't even allowed to go in. But you know, mutual respect and trust. And I watched other coaches coach. I watched Don Shula coach, Bud Grant coach. He's good. Joe Gibbs coach. He's great coaches. Uh, and uh, Bill Parcells, 
And, uh, you know, I, I would walk away sometimes, you know, I'd say, you know, boy, they're doing these things a lot better than I did. And every once in a while, I'd say, you know, I like the way I was doing it better. <laughs> and I kept doing that. And the other thing, I had the opportunity to sit next to guys in the locker rooms the day before games or Friday before a Sunday game or Thursday before a Saturday game and listen to them, what they have to say. And just listen, not ask questions, just listen to their comments and mutual uh, communications with other players around. And I learned a lot about players. I learned, you know, I learned that players really want discipline. They really want. One time I was sitting in an NFL locker room and a, a player walked by and the guy I'm sitting next to was a fine player. He said, coach, if I was head coach, this guy wouldn't even be on the roster. I'd have kicked his butt out of here along with that. He said, we don't have any discipline problems because we don't have any discipline. How can it be a problem? So you start learning things and hearing overtones and walk out of an offensive coordinator's meeting and the quarterback say, can you believe all that crap? You know, so you, you get all this stuff put into you because you have a different venue, you, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and some of it wasn't entertaining. Some of it was very educational and some added to a depth of background that I already had. And some of it really improved my background. So when I, I, I had opportunities to go back in all those 14 years and I didn't go. The reason I went with the Rams is every time that job was open, they talked to me about coming back and taking the job because I, I knew uh, Georgia Frontier. I knew Josh, right. knew these people. And uh, I never did it until the final time. And I said, you know, if I don't go back now, it'll be no one else is going to offer me an opportunity. So I went. Were, were you, you know, we talked about the fact that you were surprised that the Eagles came after you when you were at UCLA for just two years. Were you surprised that you accepted the job after being away for that long? Or did, did all of a sudden a light bulb come on and, and you say, you know what, I, I think I am ready to come back. Well, you know, uh, I almost went back uh, two years prior to 90, uh, like 95, 96 there with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I had great conversations with Jeffrey Lurie and he was very sincere and interested. And, and I recognized he was a brand new owner and had brand new people around him making decisions. And I, I felt having been out at that time 12 years, I, I, if I came back, I would need more experienced people around me. So I turned it down, and then he came back the next week and, and, and convinced me of different things, and it went on and on. And then he decided to go in a different direction, which he made the right decision. They were in the playoffs the next year. So I, I never really carried a grudge over that, but it, it told me uh, I could get excited about it. You know, it really – I just yeah. felt, I felt almost back in feeling what I really am, a football and so when the Rams came to me, and uh, and especially having to know these people, I said, okay. You retired from the Rams after the Super Bowl, but after sitting out only one year, you came back to the Chiefs. Why did you come back to coaching once again? Well, when I handed out the Super Bowl rings to my Ram team and, and organization, <laughs> I recognized I wouldn't be going to coach these guys anymore. I probably shouldn't have left. I left for the right reasons. I, I felt my family wanted me home. My, all of a sudden, I got grandchildren running all over, and I'm not there. You, you only go through that opportunity one time. Yeah. You know? I, so I, I said, I, you know, something, you know, sitting up behind me on my left shoulder here, there's a beautiful Coach of the Year trophy. Okay. Every name on that trophy had been fired after being Coach of the Year. Even Tom Landry. Yeah, and I, 
here I am, an opportunity to go out on top, a world champion. Maybe it's time for me to do it. So I went home. In May, when we handed out the Super Bowl rings, just my emotional feeling within me, I knew I made a mistake. I would not have gone back for anybody other than Carl Peterson and Lamar Hunt. I don't think I would anyway. But, you know, Carl worked for me at UCLA. I brought yeah. him with Philadelphia. He helped me build that championship team. He built his own championship teams in the USFL and had done a wonderful job uh, for Lamar Hunt. And, you know, with the great Marty Schottenheimer, who ought to be in the Hall of Fame before Nick Vermeil. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, and, you know, Carl and I are very, very close. And I became very, very close to Lamar Hunt. So easy to love. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You talk about getting involved in the community. I have a picture over here on my desk of Lamar Hunt and my wife standing in the middle of a block down in the plaza, passing out uh, pamphlets for some big charity event that they were holding. And that's Lamar Hunt. No security. Yeah. You know, standing in the middle of a block. Achievement oh, Christmas. Can't, they, they, they don't make them like that anymore. Yeah. For sure. One, one of the things I hate to keep going back to Tim, but but he's kind of my insider uh, with the Chiefs uh, is he talked about the fact that after Carl and Marty really and I'm, Carl gets most of the credit, you know, encourage the players to get out into the community and 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 really get to know the fans that Lamar said, hey, this is a good idea. And he would go out pregame and roam around the tailgates. Yeah. I mean, what owner does that? No, they're sitting in their suites eating their, you know, their caviar and, and champagne and, 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 and Lamar and now Clark, uh, Clark does it as well. He's out there eating barbecue and, and, and brats. Yeah, no, you know, even, even more so than that was really impressive to me is how much respect they paid. They played the, uh, paid to the veteran chief players. Yes. We had 15, 20 former chiefs on our practice field every Friday, two of them would travel with us every game. And, and they, I th they were guests of Lamar Hunt's every home game. As far as I know, they had the uh, reception tent outside the, uh, by the parking lot there as you enter for the, for the vets. You know, he's got redwood trees planted over there to uh, the parking lot there for the hall of famers. And, uh, you, know, you know, there are teams that only invite the, the great players back for a preseason game. that can't give the tickets away. Okay. So, yeah. and I think that I don't know any pro football team that does it better than the Chiefs, and they still do it, thanks to yeah. Clark. But that was Lamar and Carl Peterson's and Marty Schottenheimer's contribution. Yeah. Coach, there's a new TV show. I saw it advertised. Uh, well, I don't remember what network it is because I was watching games on all three networks this past weekend. But there's a show that examined one, one guy's life with the premise of what if he had made a different choice at various points in his life. Do you ever look back and wonder how your life could have been different, whether it's not accepting the Eagles job or not coming back or not stepping away? Do you ever look back and say, what if, or are you content with the way things have gone? Well, I'm more than content. Uh, I, I think I really exceeded my expectations. Okay. And then this last phone call I got from David Baker in regard to the finals for the Hall of Fame was way beyond my expectation. Even though Carl Peterson was the advocate, Carl organized a, a group of people to back me. And, you know, in the last three years, they changed the format within the Hall of Fame. Now they have a player category, a coach category, and a contributor category. Before you were all on some, 
Now, most likely, they're going to put a coach in every year and an advocate every year, and then the players. So they won't have to deduct two good players because they're putting two other people in. Yeah. And started two years ago, and I found out at that time, my name was a big part of the conversation each year. You know, when the first was, uh, of course, uh, who was it? Jimmy Johnson and mm-hmm. Bill Cower, and then yeah. last year, Tom Flores. But my name was being mentioned in there. So I started thinking, you know, it might happen, but probably never will. That was my attitude. And I never allowed myself to get into uh, an attitude, well, I think I deserve it. I never did. I, I just never got that way. So uh, anyway, all of a sudden, here it is. But I, I can't, I never started out thinking that in any way. Uh, I never started out thinking about the, I started out thinking about wanting to be head football coach in high school. That's what it all, how it all started. And then, uh, you know, you know, the day my announcement was made in regard to a final scenario, I talked to three of my starters on my Hillsdale High School team, 1960. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, uh, if I hadn't gone into football, I, my dad would have built a new garage behind the house. I might have ended up driving race cars because I, I still fool around with antique race cars. That was something was important to my dad's life and my brother did it professionally and had all that stuff and my, all my dad's friends were in it you know and uh, it just was very exciting to me and i love the thrill of it uh, i probably would have gone in that direction mm-hmm. what was just describing i read vahe gregorian's article about your reaction but i want you to tell what was your reaction when you got the phone call from david baker saying coach you the Coach committee is going to put your name up for uh, selection of the Hall of Fame. What was your reaction to that? Well, I had just gotten off an American Airlines flight landing in San Francisco to go out and spend a month in the wine country working on a wine project. And I'm walking along and I, my phone rings. So I stop and people all around me. And I'm right I'm like one foot from the wall. I'm walking on the right hand side going out and it says, Coach Vermeil, this is David Baker calling. And I'm not calling you to buy a case of wine, something like that. He said, I'm calling to let you know you're a finalist in the NFL Hall of Fame as a coach. And I said, I, to me, I couldn't believe it. I, I, just, I don't know, remember exactly what I said, but I was, I was overwhelmed. And I whispered it over to my Carol and got my wife, Carol, 65 years. And she said, well, it's about time. You know, that was her attitude. <laughs> but our family, our family had never really discuss the NFL Hall of Fame at any time. And I've got three kids and 11 grandkids and one great grandchild. And we had never discussed it. It's never been a topic. And uh, I, in the back of my new, my mind, as I said earlier, I knew it was being discussed, but I just, I always look at, hey, Mike Shanahan, Mike Holmgren, uh, Bill, uh, you know, these guys, like I said, uh, Marty Schottenheimer, you know, Chuck Knox, Marty Schottenheimer with 200 wins. Chuck knocked at about 190 wins, three teams of the playoffs. It, uh, we're all losing teams when he took them over. So uh, I, I never have placed myself in that category. So I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you deserve to go in? And I'm prepared to argue with you if you say no, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it depends on who you want to compare me with. I know I'm not Don Shula. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, he's the general, he's the general Eisenhower MacArthur of the NFL, as far as I'm concerned. I know I'm not Bud Grant, Tom Landry, and these guys. I'm me. And for uh, one reason or another, I was successful enough to be discussed within those 
guys, you know what? I think there's 24 head coaches that are in the NFL Hall. If I remember right, there's 511 coaches in the history of the league carried the title NFL head coach. Now, some of them were interim hires during the middle of the season. That's a lot of guys. And for me, all of a sudden to be in that category is it's almost unbelievable, really way beyond my expectation. I'm going to wrap things up here and I appreciate your time, coach. Just look back on your almost 50 years involved in coaching. Can you pick one highlight? And if so, what is it? And if not, give me two, two or three highlights. Well, you know, everything going to where you are in your career. My highlight in high school was Thanksgiving day. We beat Cappuccino for the conference championship going undefeated 12 to four. And they had first down and goal to go on the four yard line with just minutes to go. And we shut them out. Okay. That, boy, you talk about, that was my Super Bowl. <laughs> that was my Super Bowl. And then I'm head coach at, Mon- uh, at, at Napa college and we beat Monterey college for the first time in the history of the school. They gave up football. They don't even play football there anymore. You know, and that was, that was huge. And then I go to UCLA. We Win a Rose Bowl, you know, you know, and each each experience gets bigger in the eyes of the media and the fans. But to the person involved, the coach, that's just a new experience at that level. And that's the biggest one you had the opportunity to enjoy. I, when Philadelphia, my first great feeling in Philadelphia was in 1979. We were three and one, and Pittsburgh came in four and zero, oh, undefeated and world champions, and we beat them. And a major, major vault for me, feeling as a head coach that we just our team just beat Chuck Knoll's world championship team in Philadelphia with no first, second, third round picks the first year, the second year, and only a first, no first and second the third year. And all of a sudden, the fourth year, we beat the best football team in football. To me, that was a, uh, just an unbelievable accomplishment for me and my coaching staff and my players. And most of the time when we get together with my players, that game always comes up. More so the NFC Championship game, that was the next level when we beat Dallas to, to go to the Super Bowl. And yes, we got beat, but you know, I have, I have a strong feeling about that Super Bowl. You know, it takes the same thing to get to a Super Bowl and lose as it does to get there and win. You got to get there. Unlike NBA or Major League Baseball, it's not the best of seven. It's the best of one. Yeah. You know, well, that day you lose. But but I, I, I feel as strongly about my uh, NFC championship team in Philadelphia that lost the Super Bowl as I do my world championship team that won it. Now, that world championship team, we had access to first round picks and free agency and those kinds of things that we didn't have. But uh, so anyway, we, you know, and in the, in the, in the Rams and uh, the Chiefs, I don't know if there's any one game in the Chiefs that uh, I know the ninth win in a row was really exciting. You know, I think that was in Green Bay, in Green Bay. And you walk out of the Green Bay Stadium, so help me. And the fans say, great job, coach. We'll get you next time. You know, that's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> that's different. I know. I ne- I've never forgotten that. That's cool. Well, I, I appreciate the, the walk through history with you. I always like to wrap up, excuse me, with, with two, well, one, one request and one question. So the, the request is to talk about your family. You mentioned, you know, you've been married to Carol for 65 years. You've got three kids. 
number of grandkids, even a great grandchild. Just talk about your family and what they mean to you. And if you want to mention names, that's fine. Well, you know, when you really have a, a true, complete family, it's really the number one thing in your life. Nothing I have done. Uh, you know, I've made some great decisions. The best decision I ever made was to marry Carol at 19 years old. And everyone says you're too young, you know, and uh, some of the exciting things in those days, fathers didn't go in the delivery room. You stood outside, you know, and, and the first one was born. I couldn't be there because I was working to pay bills. We didn't have any money. <laughs> so, yeah, those kind of things. There's nothing that really is as deep. There's things that are emotional and more people involved, but it, uh, a true family depth is uh, very meaningful. Last night, we had all three kids together for the first time in a year because they, they're spread out a little bit now, you know. So, uh, you know, and then see, grand, uh, see your own kids do well, raise their own families, and now see your grandchildren starting to raise their own families. Uh, the Super Bowl wins don't uh, surpass that in value. Yeah. They, no, they really don't. They add to it. Yeah. You know, I was never home for a long time, but my kids got to experience being on the sidelines of big games and Rose Bowls to Super Bowls to – uh, and being working training camps and my grand all my my, my oldest grandsons all came to training camps one of them never missed it. uh they were five years with uh, three years with the rams and five years with the chiefs never missed a training camp so that we were able to add experiences to them but uh, nothing really takes the place of a true family nothing all right last question for you and i and i get different kinds of responses even different interpretations of the question I'll just, I'll just throw it out there and you can answer it however you want. What is your legacy? Oh, I think uh, my legacy will be a player coach relationship, player assistant coach relationship, player owner relationship. You know, I was the only coach in the history that coached three teams and never got fired. Okay. And I'm proud of that. I, I'm, I'm proud of that kind of thing. So I, I really think, uh, my legacy will be the, the relationship building part of, of my career, more so than the wins and losses and you know, those kind of things. That, because I'm very close to a lot of people that I have great respect and love for, and uh, they, they feel back the same way. You know, yeah. you talk to Trent Payne and these guys, and the Will Shields and the Eric Hexes and these guys that, uh, you know, Dante Hall and these kids, they're, they're like part of the Vermeil family. Yeah. All right. Great answer, Coach. I appreciate the time very much. And uh, you have a great day. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.